um, I felt, as I said, sort of like so linked to my brand as opposed to what the brand stood for and the ideal behind it. And at, at the time, actually, I did reach out to a couple of digital nomads to see whether they would like to almost become the CEO of that company and run it for themselves and put out great content and put their own programs through it because I wanted to keep the credibility of the brand that I worked so hard to build. But um, I also thought they might be in a better place to produce more and take it to the next level. Do you own a business or do you own a job? If your pay depends on how many hours you work, you own a job, not a business. If you're the only one who can do what you do, you own a job, not a business. If the price customers pay is based on access to you, you own a job, not a business. Now, if you find yourself owning a job and not a business, please know you're not alone, but there is a different way to do things. Natalie Sisson discovered that despite leading a movement of freedom-loving suitcase entrepreneurs, she'd created a situation where she owned a job and not a business. When she discovered the issue, she set about finding a way out and setting herself free. Natalie Sisson is an entrepreneur, best-selling author of The Suitcase Entrepreneur, and speaker, all while maintaining the freedom lifestyle she loves. Through the Freedom Plan Accelerator and Life Pilot, she teaches entrepreneurs around the world how to design their own freedom plan so they can work less, earn more, and be free. Just last week, she released her latest book, The Freedom Plan. In it, I was thrilled to discover Natalie's story of transitioning from owning a job to owning a business. In this interview, we talk about that shift and what it's meant for how her business runs today. We get into the nitty gritty on the first time she noticed this problem, how she got sucked into it a second time, and why her personal brand actually gives her more freedom from her business, not less. Now, let's find out what works for Natalie Sisson. Natalie Sisson, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so thrilled to be here. Yeah, I am thrilled to have you. It's been so long since we've gotten the chance to catch up. And I think podcast interviews are the perfect place <laughs> to catch up. <laughs> now, the uh, sort of the occasion of this catch up in this interview is the publication or the republication of your book, The Freedom Plan. Mm -hmm. And in that book, you spend some time on the idea of owning a business instead of owning a job. And I know that this particular issue played itself out in your very first entrepreneurial venture. Can you kind of share that story with us to kick things off today? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, it is a brand new book. Um, so it's just that it's taken about two and a half years to birth, which I'm really excited about. And <laughs> it's come about from that, yeah, that very experience. And I think once I left the corporate world, I went into co-founding a technology company and I think what happened there is I was so excited about the world of entrepreneurship and I did the classic work way too many hours, drink way too much coffee. Um, and before I knew it, I realized that I was actually working longer and harder than I had in my job and pretty much for less money because you don't pay yourself that much when you're a technology startup, if at all. And I realized that I essentially had another job, except it wasn't one that I was able to control and I should have been able to. And it wasn't giving me all the things that I really desired from my own business, which was the freedom and flexibility to work when I wanted and where I wanted, and really the ability to design how my work fitted in with my lifestyle. So that was a really curious place to get there because suddenly I was like, hmm, how did I end up in a worse off position than in the corporate world in many ways? Wow. Yeah. What what a realization indeed. So how did you make the transition out of uh, that owned job and into the world of actually owning a business? 
So I actually had started a blog at that time, and I think we met not too long after because we were at the World Domination Summit, and I had started a blog called Woman's World, where I was really just sharing my experience as a female co-founder in a male-dominated industry, and that blog kind of became my, my baby, actually. I spent a lot of time on it, in addition to the work that I was doing with our company, and over time, my co-founder kind of said, you know what, Natalie, you're really good at that, and you seem to really love it, and it's a real passion. And he's like, I wonder if you should actually, you know, it seems like it's where your passion is rather than necessarily our business. Because we were so many changes, 18 months of hard work and hustle, not necessarily getting anywhere, constantly trying to raise finances, running out of cash flow, just it started to get really um, draining. And even though I was committed to it, it still didn't feel like my business because he had the idea for it and started it. And so he mm. thankfully pointed out that what I was doing on the side was actually something that I could probably, you know, a side hustle that I could take into a business. And I remember having the conversation with him. He's like, you're really good at it and you do it well for us as well. But, you know, maybe this is the thing you want to pursue. And I was like, great idea. So a couple of months <laughs> later, um, with his blessing and, and leaving on really good terms, I set off with my blog under my arm and went, oh my God, what have I done? Like I had nothing. I just had a blog. I had no email list. I had no products, no services, no way to get paid. Um, and I basically spent the next six months hustling like crazy and building community and goodwill and putting out tons of free content, doing everything for free and just building a community and figuring out how blogs work and looking at different ways to monetize it. Um, and I'm not going to say that was the easiest path because I think, you know, nowadays, of course, you can make money from a blog, but it takes a lot longer than people appreciate. And so I finally had to throw a service in there, which was actually helping out another tech company consulting with them um and I remember running across the road at the time they handed me the check for 50 percent of the consulting fee up front because I literally had 17 dollars left in my bank account like Vancouver is an expensive city to live in where I was at the time and I just remember going no you need to pay me 50 percent up front because that's what consultants do and I had no idea um and then I was sort of <laughs> often running from there because I realized okay they're willing to pay me for my expertise but that felt a little bit like a job in terms of working for clients right. So then I actually looked at all my skills and experience and realized that the thing that I was doing really well was actually building a business from social media and using social media to help grow your business. And so that's what I started off with was physical boot camps of teaching you how to become a social media savvy entrepreneur so you could use it to grow your business. And from there, I was kind of, I wouldn't say off and running, but I really was like, those were physical workshops that I turned into an online course and then took it from there with more online education. Mm, I'm so glad that you recapped that for everyone because I <laughs> needed that recap too. I'm like, oh, that's right. I remember it all now. <laughs> and I mean, it, I think that says something about the brand that you've built now that that's what is so solid in my mind of like, well, this is what Natalie does and this is who she serves and how she does it. And it felt like it had been there for all time and it yeah. totally has not, which kind of speaking of which, um, you, you know, you write in your book that uh, you kind of found yourself in a similar position, even as late as 2017, where you had essentially, you'd, you'd built a great business. It had created some freedom for you. It certain, certainly created a lot of flexibility for you. Um, but it was, it ended up still being sort of a business where you owned a job as opposed to owning a business because you had built the brand entirely around you, around what you had to offer, around the content that you created, the curriculum that you designed, um, your lifestyle. So 
talk mm. us through what's changed in the last year or last two years that has allowed you to start stepping into owning a business uh, the way you want to, as opposed to owning a job. Yeah, it's, a, it's such a great topic, isn't it? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs do end up actually owning a job. And not that a job's a bad thing, but um, there's right. a difference between being a business owner and being like an entrepreneur. And so the suitcase entrepreneur is what my blog eventually became, which you know, and I have a book on that and a podcast, etc. And it was brilliant for the time that I was doing it. And I was traveling the world full time and I was living and breathing it. And it was really not easy, but I just loved talking about the perils and the pros and cons of being a digital nomad, location independent, running your business from anywhere, which was in many ways for people a dream lifestyle. I think that's what they think is a dream lifestyle until sometimes they do it and they realize it takes a lot of planning and you need to deal with uncertainty and all this stuff. Plus, it's just really hard when you don't have Wi-Fi and your business is all online. So yeah, I think come end of 2016, early 2017, I had actually moved back to New Zealand where I'm from for the first time ever, bought this beautiful property with two and a half acres of land. You've seen it on Instagram. We were talking about it before. Got a beautiful puppy. Obviously was in a relationship for the first time in six years. And my life just kind of literally turned 180 degrees in the space of a few months. And that was a lot to handle. Like I love change, but that was massive for me. And at that time I realized how far removed I felt from the suitcase entrepreneur, even though it had only been two or three months of not traveling after six and a half years of doing it full time. It just, it felt a little bit hypocritical to be talking about some of the topics, given that I now wasn't practicing and preaching and living it full time. And I think you can do that. Like there's so much wisdom that I still have for people who are traveling and running their business online. It's not like you forget it, but it didn't feel very aligned with my values. And it also made me appreciate that um, I felt, as I said, sort of like so linked to my brand as opposed to what the brand stood for and the ideal behind it. And at, at the time, actually, I did reach out to a couple of digital nomads to see whether they would like to almost become the CEO of that company and run it for themselves and put out great content and put their own programs through it because I wanted to keep the credibility of the brand that I worked so hard to build. But um, I also thought they might be in a better place to uh, produce more and take it to the next level. And it was a really interesting thing to try and separate myself from that and realize there's, you know, there's ego at play when we build our, our brands around ourselves and our lifestyles. So I wouldn't say necessarily that I did a great job of transitioning. I kind of hung on to it for a while and then I took a business sabbatical for three months and got really, really clear on what it was that I loved about running that business and which ways it had become a bit of a job and how to separate myself from it and what my next steps were. And interestingly, I think once, and you know this, Tara, with what you built, you, you sort of build what you know. So uh, it runs itself really now. It still gets tons of traffic without me doing much. Um, there's still affiliate payouts on there. There's still commissions. There's still tons of amazing content and programs on there that people will naturally buy through my sales funnel. Um, but I essentially moved into my own <laughs> personal brand under my name because I think when you are operating under your own name as a business or as a personal brand, you can do so much more. You can change tack. You can talk about different things. You don't have to be pigeonholed into one area. And also you don't want to go nuts and try and do everything. Obviously, that's the pain of most entrepreneurs. So it's still a journey if I'm really being honest about it. And I'm almost coming full circle to wanting to offer done-for-you services in a way, um, mm. not, not through me, but through what I see my clients doing. And I love online education and I love the programs that run pretty much without me now and make a big impact, but there's still something to be said for actually serving bigger businesses now to implement 
a lot of the systems that I implemented as an individual. So um, having great systems, as you know, and sales funnels and outsourcing and streamlining is really important for businesses, whether you're a one person, person, a 10 person, 50, 100 or a really big business. And so there's a part of me that wants to take all that combined experience and knowledge and actually offer it into businesses who are struggling with that and could be so much more efficient and productive and streamlined and show them how to develop that mindset of freedom and run their business in a better way so that they can step back from it. I love that. So there was a couple of things in there that I want to pick apart a little bit more. (laughs) Um, And one of them is this idea of taking a business sabbatical, uh, exploring the possibility of having someone else come in and take over as uh, CEO. Um, But I think underneath all of that is what you're talking about in terms of there's still tons of traffic going through that old brand. There's still sales funnels that are firing. There's still uh, ways for people to be buying, affiliate commissions getting paid out. Um, Can you talk us through the process of actually looking at that business and, and saying, what do I need to do to make this run without me? Was that something that you had to Mm. kind of add in um, as you noticed this problem? Or was that something you had built in from the beginning? I think actually over the years, I'd I'd baked it in without knowing how um, brilliantly that was done. And not saying that I did it brilliantly, (laughs) but just years and years of trying to remove myself from a lot of that so that it could run efficiently by itself. I first tested it out in 2012 when I went on a big bike trip down Africa and I was basically offline for two months cycling six and a half thousand k's which I think is like four thousand miles and I really worried whether the business would fall over without me because I paused all my coaching clients which I had at the time but sales of my ebooks and products could still go on and I had one virtual assistant and it was brilliant like literally to be biking each day and knowing that there was income coming in um, and that I was offline almost that entire time so a lot of it had been baked in and it's still there. It's, it's incredible the number of emails that still come through there asking for advertising opportunities, sponsorship opportunities, featured posts, etc. cetera. Um, and I, for a while there, I think I ignored those and I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and now I'm like, well, it's actually just, it's smart business, right? Like all the content is there. It's evergreen. It's organic. Um, it was written with full intent and heart um, to make an impact on other people. And so to continue leveraging that is really is really smart. Um, and in many ways, yeah, the systems and sales funnels that I have built have been set up to essentially run that on autopilot to a point. Um, and at any point I can step back into it, produce more content. I could hire content writers to do more of that. Um, there's other ways that I can monetize that and improve it. And so that's always an opportunity, right? Depending on where your desires are, your intention. And it's a really good model to um, look at and apply to other businesses that I start and help clients start as well. Yeah, great point. Um, now, this may seem obvious given what you just said, which is, mm. you know, there's all this content that was created with the right intentions that is extremely valuable, that, you know, has all this capacity to continue generating revenue. But was there ever a point when you thought about shutting that business down? Yeah, absolutely. But I, how do you like, why? I think the question that I came back to was like, why would I shut it down? Like, what is the point of taking six and a half, seven years of, you know, a lot of community building and content creation and value creation and shutting it down when things can live forever on the internet and <laughs> continue to go? I think what I was concerned about was losing the credibility or the quality of what was up there or for it kind of just fizzling out. But it's interesting how just the organic search traffic just continues to go. And and now actually one of the things that I do want to streamline further is 
have somebody go through a bunch of that content and make sure it's obviously optimized, which we've done a lot of, but also just where can it be refreshed and where can it link over to my new business and my new content? Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a mammoth job when you think about 900 plus blog posts and all these videos and all these podcasts. And we've done a lot of work on it, but there's always more to do. And that's the sort of stuff that I think doesn't light me up as much. It's something that you want to come in and just who loves data and loves looking at everything and optimizing um, to take on to take that on and actually do a really good job of it. But definitely did think about just closing it or ending it. But I feel like it's just, it's such a, it would have been a silly move, I think, just because there's so much value there that's still free um, for people to look at. And why should I take that away from people when I've created it for them to learn from? We'll hear more from Natalie in just a bit, but now a word from our What Works partners. Mighty Networks powers brands and businesses like yours that bring people together. Gearing up to launch a website or blog in 2019? Here's a better idea. Build an online brand that brings people together. Until recently, online business owners like us had to use an array of different platforms, all with separate audiences to build our brands. One platform for courses, another for events, another for your content, and yet another for your community. Not only do none of these platforms work together, but forget about mobile, where we all know people are spending the majority of their time today. At Co-Commercial, we face the same challenge until we found Mighty Networks. With a Mighty Network, online business owners just like you can bring all their business assets together in one place. Your website, your content, your courses, your community, your events, online and off, and you can charge for them, all while building your brand. The best part? When you're ready, you can upgrade to roll all of these features into your own native mobile app under your brand. It's like having your own Silicon Valley startup behind you with none of the headaches. Also, it's totally free to get started. At CoCommercial, we use Mighty Networks to bring together our interactive learning experiences, community roundtables, events, conversations, and behind-the-scenes content all in one place. Visit MightyNetworks.com to see more examples of brands bringing people together via events, classes, memberships, content, and more. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to take your business to the next level. As a business owner, you wear a lot of hats. Some of those hats are fun and stylish and others, not so much. Gusto makes it easy for you to wear your awesome employer hat. They take the guesswork out of payroll, taxes, and HR, whether you're a business of one or a business of 100. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses like yours work, but Gusto is. Listeners get three months free when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at gusto.com slash what works. That's gusto.com slash what works. Okay. So the other thing I really wanted to come back to, um, was this idea that you realized the suitcase entrepreneur had become linked to your identity, linked to your story, as opposed to what it stood for on its own. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, that is such a, I think that's such a great way of talking about what the difference between a brand that's you and a brand that's a brand, you know, a brand that stands on its own, what's really going on there. And then on the flip side of that, you mentioned that when you went to start something fresh, you actually put it under your own name. And so I'm wondering if you see this new Natalie Sisson brand being something that is tied inextricably to you 
Or is Natalie Sisson becoming something that stands for an identity, that stands for a story that's not necessarily your own, but shares your values and your perspective and can be something that stands for that thing for other people as well? Does that make sense? Yeah, such a good question and a question that I ask myself daily because, (laughs) um, you know, I think in many ways I've set it up. Freedom has always been one of my highest values and most people who know me, whether it was as a suitcase entrepreneur or as me, as a person, know that that's one of my highest values and I talk about it all the time. So I think going under my personal brand has given me the opportunity to talk about that in many different aspects um, and from different perspectives. But ultimately, I feel I can actually remove myself from this more than the suitcase entrepreneur, which may sound really strange to people listening, but here's why. Um, there are, Ultimately, what I'm trying to do is help people to create a more streamlined business that gives them freedom. So I might say, hey, this is Natalie, and this is how I want to help you, but it's not about me. So this is not a blog about following my journey, um, what I'm doing right now, although there's an element of that that people want to learn from. So for example, I just announced on a Facebook Live today in my Facebook group that I'm going to take my business down to one day a week and see if I can experiment on a one day a week business, which fascinates me and would prove out a lot of my systems and experience and skills. However, um, I'm not necessarily just doing that for me. That is something that I can then apply to clients and going forward. And so I feel like even though it's my personal brand, there's less of it about me going, hey, here I am doing this today and here I am doing this. It's all about how can I serve you to get to this point? Like, what does your freedom plan look like? Um, which is ultimately why I wrote the book as well. And I always talk about finding your own unique path to doing this because what I do may not interest anybody at all, but it's more the learnings that they can take out of the structure and the frameworks that I put out there that they should be able to apply to what they want to do and make it work for them. Mm, So good. Such an important takeaway in terms of, you know, this is a brand that's not about me. This is a brand that's about you. Sure. It has the same name I have, (laughs) or, you know, it, it, my picture is on the website, but it's not about me. It's about Mm -hmm. you and what you can accomplish and how I can help you accomplish that thing. Um, if I think if no one takes, if anyone takes nothing else Wait, that I did not say that right. <laughs> if you don't take anything else away from this interview, I think that is huge. And just to take a, a sort of an audit of the brand that you have, whether it's your name or whether it's a uh, a business name, and really look to see, does this brand stand for my customer and what they want? Or is this all about me? I think is a really, really important question. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the day-to-day operations of your business now, because I'm also very intrigued by this one day a week uh, idea. And so maybe it's not day-to-day operations. Maybe it's like a couple of day a week operations right now. <laughs> but what are you doing in your business right now? And how is your business really running? What 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 makes it work right now? Yeah, and it's such a curious thing for me to investigate as well as what would it look like down to one day a week? Because one thing I've noticed is when you harp on about freedom as much as I do, lifestyle is really important to me. And so I love spending time with my dogs, outdoor, nature, training for triathlons, doing sports, hiking, all those fun things. And I've noticed that when I'm working, I'm sort of expanding my time to fit the work, so to speak, um, or I, I can actually do it in a lot less time than I realize because I've created good systems, because I have a cool little virtual team around the world. And a lot of the stuff that I do is more the strategy and the content creation and curriculum creation for programs and offerings that I have. 
And I really feel right now that I'm probably dabbling in all these other things because they're fun, um, but not necessarily actually important to what I'm doing. So why I like the idea of even thinking about condensing this down into one day a week is because it will make me rigorously focus on the revenue generating activities that actually have the most impact on my community's lives. And I think that's something that we can all do and step back from time to time, because I don't know about you, but the research has shown that we do 2.96 productive hours in any day. That's especially employees, but I'm sure that business owners are the same. We might look like we're working a 12 hour day sometimes, which I never advocate for, but um, what we're actually really doing is being productive for around three to four hours a day max. So in my mind, it's like, how can I be super, super productive in a much shorter space of time? And how much more would that make me focus in on the priorities that are actually moving the needle in my business and other people's businesses? I love that. And I totally agree that we can do things a lot faster if we just give ourselves smaller containers. I am so, so, so for that. Um, so what are some it of the works though, doesn't it? It like, totally have works. Have you thought about like you put in a climbing appointment with your friend at 1 PM and you start work at like eight and those sort of four and a half hours before you go, you're like ludicrously productive and efficient because you're like, Oh, this is my window. And then after that, I know I'm going to be climbing and going to a cafe and chilling out. Um, and it just, it makes you focus. Like when you condense your time, you pack a lot more in it and you're much more productive as opposed to letting your day expand so that you can do as much as you want and you're never as productive. Yeah. It's one of the first things that I mentioned to people who are moving from a side hustle to a full-time business. Like they'll be so Mm -hmm. excited about all this extra time they have. And the first thing I tell them is, look, you may have extra time, but you should set the expectation now that you're not going to get more done. So, you know, what, how is that going to impact your business? How is that going to impact your planning? And like you, you know, to your point, how's that going to impact your lifestyle? Let's take this extra time and do something fun with it too. So you don't actually lose the productivity, you gain productivity and you gain all this extra time for taking care of yourself, for doing things you love, for spending time with your family. That should be the exciting part, I think, of moving from a side hustle to a full-time business. So cool. hundred percent. I'm so happy. Preach it because yeah. that is exactly what I find when I get people to a point where they have more time, they usually do more work. And I'm like, no, no, the point <laughs> is to do the things you love, spend it with the people you love, go on adventures, be creative because it actually enhances what you do when you get back to your business. Right. And you know, and it's one thing if that more work is actually productive or it's creating value, it probably isn't. It probably is just that the same tasks you were doing have filled, or like you said, dabbling in things that seem fun, but aren't really an important part of the business. I mean, I totally do that. (laughs) Um, And if I eliminated that, I could do things that are more fun. Um, So yeah, great, great lesson, great realization, I think for people. Uh, You mentioned that you have sort of this worldwide virtual team um, that does a lot of the execution for you and you're doing more of the, the strategic work. Can you tell us about the team that you have and the kind of execution that they do for you? Um, yeah, and to a point, like there's still lots of work that I want to do on that in terms of trusting and handing over more to my team. So mm-hmm. in the past, I've become so addicted to delegating that I think sometimes I've delegated too much stuff. And that's, that's an interesting point. It can be pretty addictive. But I do have a call team. I have a virtual assistant who's based in the Philippines who's been with me for six years. She knows my systems and business inside and out. And she's just brilliant at getting a lot of those things set up with like ConvertKit linking to Access Ally or Teachable, um, just a lot of the niggly admin stuff that 
it can take time and once it's set up and we have good procedures for it is is pretty effortless for her to do um as well as some customer service and handling some of my emails which is awesome i have a designer slash photographer slash social media person who can help out with um you know posting and content and design on wordpress sites which is really handy i have um a sales funnel and Facebook ads strategist who I work in with and love because we can have more strategic based calls, which I think every entrepreneur needs somebody you can bounce things off and talk to about what's the next direction. And so he's great with funnels and I love funnels. And so getting consistent leads into my business and then also how do we convert them into the right offerings for them. Uh, I have have had WordPress developers, but now that I'm using Thrive Architect, which I freaking love, it's so <laughs> simple that both myself and Angeline and anybody who comes on my team can pretty much use that. You're giggling there. Are you using it as well? Or No, no. You... I just love the way no? that you talk about it. Oh, it's just, I honestly, because you have probably played with so many WordPress themes over the years, but I've never seen anything that is just so easy to use for non-technical people. And it's amazing and it's kind of wiped out a bunch of other systems that I was using and negated the need to have them so nice. I'm always looking on how to streamline and um, plug and play with different tools that work really well together and then I um, depending on what I'm doing I'll bring on people for launches so I might bring on a copywriter or a direct response copywriter I might bring on a project manager specifically for something um, I may, yeah, just whatever I'm needing at that time, I will bring them in. So a videographer, I have a video editor because I do vlogs each week and uh, just a small nimble team. And I think Angeline, my VA, does around 20 to 25 hours a week, but everybody else can be very much from somewhere from three hours through to 15. Um, and they're all their own business owners or independent contractors. So I'm very aware of the fact that they have their own things going on, but it it just works. And they're in countries like Scotland and England and Canada and US and New Zealand and Philippines and Portugal. <laughs> that is a very worldwide team. <laughs> I dig it. Um, and I love how you've just, you've, even though it's, what am I trying to say? It's a, it's a very, it sounds like it's a very um, dispersed team in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. everyone's got their little thing that they are not so little thing that they're working on. But I can tell in your brain, they are all organized into a very cohesive, very organized um, system of, of people that get stuff done. And I, I love the way that you kind of ran us, ran us through that. So thank you for that. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to take a little bit of time to look at sort of your project management or, or almost like your idea management process, because I think another place where it's easy to get caught in the trap of even even when you've left the owning a job thing and you've you've got this owning the business thing figured out um as entrepreneurs we're very much idea people it's very easy to get caught up in new ideas that you have new projects that you want to start new products that you want to create new initiatives that you want to set out on and for every idea that we have i think it becomes easier and easier to get sucked back into the job like you almost mm. give yourself new job responsibilities instead of keeping that business owner eye on things so i'm curious mm. how you manage the ideas that you have and when one kind of elevates itself to saying yep we're going to take this on what kind of uh, procedures? What kind of process do you have in place to make sure you're not getting sucked back into the business in a way that doesn't give you the freedom that you want? 
Such a good question. Um, I've played with this over the years. I do keep a little ideas journal and I also get my clients to do this. Like anytime you have like what you think is a brainwave, brilliant idea in the middle of the night or during a creative session or somewhere you're out running or in nature, pop it into that journal and then come back to it a few days later and see whether it still has the legs and the juice and the excitement that you initially had. Because I think for creative entrepreneurs, especially there's a bazillion ideas a day that they're having. And I spoke to somebody yesterday, actually, and they had about three different ideas for their business. And I was like, what is your immediate goal right now? And they're like, just to get this business back on the road. And I was like, okay, great. So then can you put all those other three aside? Because <laughs> as great as they are, they are long-term plays that are going to take you a lot of time. And you're going to need to have actual revenue and money to invest in them. So focus on the thing you need right now. And I, I'm preaching to myself as well, because we all need to hear that advice. But one thing that I have played with and really like is the decision matrix that I think I actually first found out about from Chris Gillibo way back then, but there's iterations of it um, also within the lean canvas method. And so I really like whenever I have three or four big ideas on the go of putting them into that decision matrix of what impact is this going to have? What effort is it going to be? How profitable is it going to be? And what's my the sort of does it meet my vision? And looking at the totals that actually come up in that little spreadsheet template and going, hmm, this one's a clear winner. Or if you see a couple that look really good, like saying, well, which of these is the most useful right now for me? So at the moment, I actually, it may sound really odd, but I have five things that I just put into my decision matrix last week. And I'm just percolating on them and seeing which ones. And one of those is actually a lifestyle thing to do with our property. So um, I find that really, really interesting. And it also gives you a very good perspective on what you have going on in your head and in your life and how you need to really focus down. I'm a big fan of no more than three. Um, so I, my partner and I have this thing called Life Pilot, and it's actually a methodology and process that we use. It's a spreadsheet, but it's become so much more than that. And we reflect every week on what were our three top things for the week, intentions or goals, what were our three things for the month, what are our three things for the quarter, for the year. And I just love the power of three because it really forces you to get very specific on what is important and cut out the rest. Cool. Is Life Pilot something that is on your web website? It is actually. I, I need to make it more prominent. We've run it. Um, we've run four cohorts now, and we're about to run a fifth because it's just it's so simple, so deceptively simple yet brilliant, and it's really transformed our lives. We we used it for about eighteen months and kept figuring stuff out, and then we put it out there publicly um, earlier this year, and it's had a really amazing response. Very cool. I am going to yeah. check that out for myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So um, before we wrap up here, this has been, first off, a, a fascinating conversation. Um, but second, you know, now my brain is wondering what some of these great ideas might be um, that you are percolating on right now. And you don't have to tell us about those, but I'm just really curious, like, what's next for you? What what are what can we look forward to seeing from your business next? Well, you just highlighted one of them is to actually bring Life Pilot to life even more. It is included in my, my Freedom Plan Accelerator, but uh, it's a standalone thing that I think could have a massive impact it's it's all about the stuff that we really need to get clear on like how do you make the most of every single day and how do you bring your three-year vision into a daily action um, and I just think it's it's really needed in this world and it's a combination of my work and Josh's work and just all those years of figuring out what works best so that is one of them um, as I mentioned before there's project I'm calling it project Kairangi so our property and house is called Kairangi Haven which is a Maori word actually for um, illuminated light or it means rainbow um, earth to sky so pretty beautiful name 
and there's a lot that we want to do here in terms of being able to hold retreats. We have a co-working space in the barn and it's just a beautiful place where we want to build out gardens and ponds and really make it an absolute even more amazing place to be and so that's completely not necessarily related to business but there is some end potential revenue that could come from that so those are just a couple of examples of those um, things that I have on and as I mentioned before really honing in on that sort of done for you service aspect for clients and now that I'm based in New Zealand I really like the idea of being able to work with physical businesses on the ground here and be able to go into them and kind of sort them out. So that's something that I haven't played with for years because I love the freedom and flexibility of online education and programs, but I'm also a massive fan of in-person relationships and I feed off it. So it's recognizing that in myself now that I'm based here of being able to build those relationships. Brilliant. Well, Natalie Sisson, thank you so much for this conversation, for your perspective, your experience on uh, how you've built a just absolutely wonderful lifestyle for yourself and a business to go along with it. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. Learn more about Natalie Sisson at nataliesisson.com. Plus, you can pick up her new book, The Freedom Plan, on Amazon or wherever books are sold. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medias and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.